0: question i hear regularly as a pastor it's uh, a regular question i think in circles i think some of this has been heightened by the um just the the whole drama of covid um in our culture and i say that to say i understand that people have gotten sick that people have died from getting sick Um, People, you know, however you cast it as a pandemic or something that is um, extremely contagious and and has been part of our culture, uh, it has been a reality. and, And it is a sad thing for people to get sick ever and to be sick and die or be isolated from elderly loved ones or for things to happen is always tragic. But I want to highlight not the, you know... The idea of COVID today in terms of how to talk about it or how we're supposed to think about it or how we're supposed to respond to it, we still live in a culture today where it's, it's very much uppermost in our minds when we go into stores, when we sit at a restaurant, Whether we choose to gather in public ways or not, um, we still hear of people suddenly contracting it and it being um, either not a big deal to a very big deal in certain situations. I'm not here to kind of diagnose all those factors or realities or even the, the, you know, political angles or, or dynamics with church. All those things are real, but I want to go take it a level deeper and address something that I think we all can share in common, and that is the idea that we all have to respond to what is making people afraid of COVID. Um, people are afraid, and you know this, to even sneeze in public, right, right now. Uh, if, if you choke on your water in the restaurant, it's, it's now like a big deal, and people will look at you with a not so nice look, right, in the restaurant. And you wonder if you need to get up and leave because people believe you're spreading germs that could kill them. So the issue beneath the issue with this whole thing that I'm bringing up about COVID is not COVID per se, but underneath COVID, what it has, what it has exposed, which is people are very, very afraid and in particular, afraid of dying. People are not just afraid of getting sick. People are afraid of getting sick in a way that will kill them. And I think what is exposed in the secret lesson of what's happened wherever you fall out on COVID and, and how to handle it is the exposure that people are ill-equipped regarding the afterlife. They They don't know what's out there and they don't know what to do with death. And so they're doing everything they can do to stave off for them what they believe is unknowable the unknown. Death is scaring people. So I'm not here to hype or unhype it, but I'm here to expose what, um, what people are thinking about in terms of their own status. Remember when the AIDS virus hit in, in the 80s? That was, you know, really, really on us. I was in junior high school, and I remember being sat down in gym class, and it was like, okay, we're not doing gym class. We're shutting things down, and we're going to talk face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball about HIV this immune deficiency that if you get sick, you are going to be vulnerable to all kinds of diseases and you're gonna die, but it only comes through um, a sexual contact. And so you're okay, except now be very, very careful when you use a public bathroom, right? I mean, that was HIV and it's still a thing. And and I have friends and colleagues in South Africa who, who deal with AIDS in Africa on a much larger scale than I think we do here. There's all kinds of stigma that goes with contracting HIV because it comes through um, you know, sexual contact and, and oftentimes homosexual contact or the use of you know, dirty needles or things like that. So there's stigmas with it. Not everybody who gets HIV um, gets it in an immoral way, but, um, but it is something that begs um, the reality of of ultimate life or death in a way that was real to us in the 80s. And I think, I think that leprosy is the, is the HIV of the Old Testament and, and this account in the New Testament. It was a life-altering, um, over-the-top situation where you are, you are going to die. As J.C. Ryle put it, if you had leprosy, you were dying inch by inch. It's a horrible situation. The Old Testament created what I would call righteous quarantine. There is a righteous version of quarantine. And that was for the safety of the Jewish people and the population to isolate people. And they were already in a physically hellish experience. But then they were isolated from the temple, isolated from worship, isolated from people, isolated from community. Does any of this sound familiar? Well, this was a righteous version of this, an ordained version of this within the Jewish population. But whether you're talking about leprosy or any disease or any illness, it's all the effects of original sin. Sin is what brings us about. It's not, I mean, leprosy as much as it would feel like a judgment to have it. It's not necessarily a judgment because of sin. It's just a judgment on the sinfulness of our world. And the effects of our world, when people die or are are given word that they have a terminal disease, they are undergoing the judgment of original sin in our world. A lot of medical doctors, and I have um, a lot of friends in the medical community here in Alaska, um, many who don't know the Lord. They don't know that the real cause for what they're trying to stave off is sin in our world. Sin is what breaks the body down, and the only solution to sin is the ultimate healing that comes from the gospel where you have eternal life. So I want to address the issue again that, that I began with, which is why does God heal sometimes like this, and at other times, it's like he, it, doesn't, it doesn't work at all. He doesn't heal at all. Is he still in the healing business because I think we need to understand biblically what's going on in this miracle. And I think this miracle account will tell us the answer to that question. And then the answer to that question, is Jesus still healing today in the way that he did back then? Answering that will help us answer how to respond to people who are terrified to die. Those, that, I'm going to try to make that connection for us this morning. Let me give you the basic Sunday school answer before I read the text. Is Jesus still doing um, now what he does in this, in this miracle account? The, the short answer is yes, he's still healing. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Um, in, in him, Acts 17 says, in him we live and move and have our being. Colossians 1.17, he's holding all things together on a molecular and atomic level. So if he chooses to hold us together and we still get to breathe, he's in charge of every molecule and every every phys- physiological dynamic with that. And when he decides that it's our time, then he brings us home. He he lets he allows things to happen. But I think in his providence, um, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, he looks down upon you and he is preserving you. And perhaps at times you have a sickness that he supernaturally overrides in the same way he does for this leper. There are plenty of accounts where doctors say, look, the tumor was there and I go back and then it's not there. And then there's plenty of accounts where a doctor will say, look, take this medical, you know, take this medicine, take, do, go through this medical procedure and then there's healing that takes place in a natural way. So there's supernatural and natural healing. And then there are a lot of times where you, you wanna be healed, you're praying for supernatural healing, you're relying upon medicinal healing and then nothing happens at all. And guess what? God's in charge of all three of those categories. Supernatural healing, natural healing and then not being healed at all until heaven He's sovereign. And so in the same way that Jesus exercises his sovereign supernatural power here, he's still doing that today. Let me read um, our text, Matthew 8, verses one through four. It says, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt down before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. One thing I want to point out just as I give kind of a broad overview of what we just read is to simply say that the miracle moment in this text is not the point of the text. The healing um, moment is not really the main point that Matthew is making here. And I think that's important in relation to the question of does God, does Jesus still heal supernaturally, comprehensively, immediately, like this, now, today, like He did? 2,000 years ago, we need to understand that Jesus was driving home a different point than the physical healing that this man had just undergone because he's saying, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. In fact, Jesus is trying to diffuse the hype of the moment. This is an amazing thing. People did not get healed of leprosy every day. It's very rare in scripture that we hear of the healing accounts, Miriam, who's Moses' sister, who you know, dissed her brother and dissed his leadership and then, um, was, you know, contracted leprosy and was, was healed subsequent to that. And then Nahum that was, um, um, Naaman, who was healed, who was the, you know, sort of sergeant commander underneath the, the king of Assyria, the commander of Assyria. And, and Elisha sent him to to be washed in the brook and was healed of leprosy. And then in the New Testament, you have the account of the 10 lepers who Jesus comes upon and he pronounces healing upon them. They're healed and sends them to um, the temple again to go through the appropriate protocols. Do that. Don't go placard my healing. I'm not a convenience store. You you know, just, just do it the right way. Go, go get pronounced um, that you are clean and re-enter the community. And then one of them returns back and thanks Jesus for the, the source of the healing. But, but this is the other account of a leper being um, healed. We know John the Baptist, when he was in prison, was beginning to doubt Jesus because he was going to be killed for his faith. And there's reporting going on of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus is reported to giving sight to the blind and and raising the dead and also cleansing lepers. And so all of that means that healing ministry for lepers was happening, but it was a rare account but the point wasn't the healing itself. First of all, look at the sovereignty of God in this text. You have this leper comes to Jesus. He's breaking all kinds of laws here, ceremonial laws. He's supposed to shout, unclean, unclean, and try to protect Jesus. Nope, all bets are off. This must be the Messiah. I've heard he cleanses lepers. I'm going right to him. I'm going, going right kind of rogue here. And kneels down, he, he, he's... Uh, Prostrated before the Lord, kneeling before Jesus as sovereign, saying, Lord, master, Curios, master, if you will, if it be your will, the same prayer that we should pray that we always pray. Like I prayed with, with, um, the Wheelist family, if it's your will, he'll, he Larry, but you know, you, we pray and sometimes God says yes. And sometimes he says no. And then sometimes he says, wait. And, um, If it's your will, and in this case, Jesus said, um, I will, verse 3. So there's the sovereignty of God in this. Um, Secondly, again, there were protocols that were broken for the ceremonial law. The, The leper was supposed to shout, I'm unclean. He was doing what was forbidden, but Jesus also reaches out and touches this man, which would be ceremonially forbidden. How do we deal with that? How do we understand that? Well, who wrote the law? Jesus did, right? Um, Who's the, the purpose of the law? Who's the answer to the law? Jesus is. We're saved not by law, but by grace. The law shows us our sin, it drives us to Christ, it pictures Christ. All of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, was saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. We're not casting it aside. We're not casting the meanings aside. We're not casting um, you know, its purpose all the way down to the jot and tittle of the law. But Jesus is there to say, I'm fulfilling this. I, the quarantine is off. It's paused right now because I don't need quarantine and neither do you. I'm going to heal you. So Jesus is the answer, the fulfillment of what it means to be cleansed. The cleansing ceremonial law was, was, was um, fulfilled in Christ because he's the ultimate high priest who cleanses here in this moment. It was immediate healing. It was comprehensive healing. All the charlatans who claim to have the command power to heal are exposed because they don't heal in this way. You know, does Jesus heal under apostolic command these days? No, because there aren't living apostles. John was the last living apostle. And so that command ministry, which was validating the beginning of the church, has, has phased out. We're in the last days, and I don't know what will happen in the end-end times when uh, right before Jesus returns, but for now, it really does not seem that there are, are people who are able to command healing on the spot, though a lot of people make a lot of money pretending to do that. And if I don't say it, I don't know who will. You just need to understand that even if it, it seems... Um, Fake to us at first, a lot of people will begin to drink the Kool-Aid and, and rationalize things and be drawn in and give their time and money and attention to people who are being bold, saying, I can heal, I can pronounce that there's no cancer in this place. I can, you know, do these things. And and it's it's never someone who can comprehensively um, demonstrate that an immediate healing has taken place like is described in scripture. It's It's not happening out there. And so we need to understand these were miracles to establish that Jesus is Lord and Messiah and um, and understand these things. I want to also just point out that this last verse, verse four, where Jesus is sending him to the temple. And we're gonna, this is kind of the, the closed lens in Matthew. We're gonna go to Mark's gospel and do a wide lens, more detailed approach as to what Jesus is doing here. Because I've always wondered, what's wrong with um, the leper going out and telling everybody that he just got healed? Don't we want the gospel to be demonstrated on the widest possible level? Don't we want the most amount of exposure to Jesus as the healer, as the savior as possible? We gotta understand, Jesus works the way he wants to communicate the gospel. And Jesus doesn't want to become a convenience store. He doesn't want to become someone who's just, you know, put a coin in and get your miracle person. He doesn't want to be that. He wants to preach the gospel and he wants heart conversions. That's the higher purpose. And we're going to unpack that again to understand, does Jesus still heal in this way today? And understand why he does it sometimes and other times he does not. And then how do we address the deepest issue, which is dealing with people's fear of death? That's really what we're trying to tie together here. A couple principles, only God can heal if he wills to do it. Every true believer is like the leper who yields to Christ and says, Lord, heal my heart. And ultimately, every true believer will be healed at least one day in heaven completely Number three, the main point isn't the physical miracle. We've talked about that. And number four, Jesus always has higher purposes in our lives where he's dealing with us, either healing supernaturally, providentially, or not at all. How does this work out? Let me ask you this question practically. Um, We don't get to choose whether we suffer or not in the ways that we suffer. Um, we don't get to choose um, physical ailments and things that plague our lives. And I know, I've known you long enough to know some of the maladies that you are going through and things that we pray for you regarding hurts and heartaches and physical maladies and ailments and discouragements. Those are realities of our daily lives. We don't get to choose that. But I think it's important to understand that if God gave you the choice, as a Christian and, and his choice was, you know, your family's watching your children whom you love, maybe adult children or younger children, your grandchildren, they're watching you. So I'm gonna either give you the choice to not have this physical malady, this problem in your life, or you can be problem free or you can have it, one or the other. But if you have this problem, if you're willing to bear this burden in this life, that will steer the way for your kids to know Jesus or by you suffering well, by you trusting me through this chronic disease, this terminal indictment, you're going to die, or this sickness that is, is not cured right now. By going through that, you're going to steer your wayward child back to Christ, away from hell. You'd probably choose to suffer. You'd probably choose to, to receive that. And I think that's the posture of the leper, that is on display for us to follow. We need to be this yielded leper who says, I receive the suffering. I receive the, the, the travail in my life because I want to be that witness for Christ. Sometimes it goes the other way. Sometimes he may choose to instantaneously heal you and the healing of, of some malady, inexplainable healing is what also can win people to Christ. But we don't get to choose that one way or the other. Jesus healed this man. He directs him to follow the normal protocols of quarantine. And I couldn't resist, but he did. This is a righteous quarantine um, to give sacrifice, to offer glory to God. And he's doing that. Why? He's doing that to sublimate the hype of the miracle. It was a demonstrative miracle. This was something that everybody would know and see. They would see, okay, that's who this was. And now he's, he, had, he was the elephant man. And now he's completely whole. Hey, take a mile and a half walk. Jesus is going to say, go to the temple. In Mark's account, he says it abruptly. Go now, go quickly before everybody can see. Go hike two miles down the road to the temple. So obviously this guy didn't need rehab, right? He was, he was good to go. Go to the temple and show yourself to be clean because he's sublimating um, Jesus' miracle ministry. That's what he's doing. You know, the one thing that we want to be sure of when we're on our deathbed is that our soul is secure. And the greatest gift that we have, I think, this side of glory is the security of our salvation. And the greatest thing you want for anybody else that you love and care about, which should be everybody, but there are people in particular that we love um, more dearly than others, <laughs> I mean, deeply, that the, the greatest thing we want for them is to know that their soul is secure, right? Even more than healing, that their soul is right, right? With God, that they don't have to fear death. You don't got to be. You don't have to be afraid, right? I'll use some slang. You don't got to be afraid. You don't have to be. You know, fear is 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 fears are real, and the pain of death is real, and loss is real, and we have to work with each other in community through that. But you know what, our brother Larry um, had was confidence in his final days that he knew where he was going. He was confident. He was secure. And his greatest prayer request and heartbeat was for his, I mean, comfort knowing his wife is secure. He wants his children to be secure. That's, that's security in the Lord is the number one issue of life, is security going into death. And that's What Jesus is prioritizing here. Uncertainty is why people are um, teared up in their hearts, torn up in their hearts, and they're terrified of the unknown, catching the catchy virus. But really, it's not the virus people are afraid of, it's the fear of death. And so, again, does Jesus still heal today? I'm trying to make the case yes. Hebrews 13, same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. Is he doing things all the time? Yes. Is he doing things behind the scenes in a million variables that we don't even know and comprehend and see that are going on where there's supernatural or natural healing or he's saying let's wait for other higher purposes? Yes. All that dynamic is going on all the time and we need to acknowledge that. Acknowledging that quells man's fear of death. Providential an understanding that God is providentially working and Jesus is at work in this life working towards people um, going to the next life, his providential care in that is what quells man's fear of death. Let me show you that from Mark's account. We're going from the, the narrow lens to a wider lensed view that gives more detail and, and more data regarding this account. Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one. Look with me at verse forty. Read this account. It says, And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, saying, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, word compassion here, moved with compassion, he, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. Again, what is um, modern-day leprosy? Well, there's still leprosy, but um, just parallel it with HIV for a second. And AIDS. Um, that that really is a a scary condition to find yourself in. It's human immunodeficiency virus infection or acquired immune deficiency syndrome. It meant um, for people, and you. It still means this, but but we remember the reports of people losing weight general atrophy, um, unrecoverable sickness, ultimate death, even with therapies today and treatments, it still dramatically changes your quality of life. And it's all stigmatized by sins that, that lead to this. A leper would feel this way, even if they had not in any way contributed to why they became a leper. They were completely isolated. If someone knew that you were a leper, it was, you, you can't come near me. You're scaly, it's a severe form. People didn't understand bacteria. They didn't understand bacterial infection. They didn't know how to treat it on a micro level. The only possible way was quarantine. And in Leviticus chapter 13, Leviticus, that chapter takes 59 verses to explain what quarantine looked like. The righteous quarantine, if you want some bedside reading later um is Leviticus 13:59 verses the clinical process of a priest examining sores boils determining the seriousness of the through the skin um coloration and the condition was it localized temporary infectious contagious it was determined for the sake of the com- um the community through a battery of tests ultimately to be pronounced clean or unclean your inside temple worship The community, life, or you're outside, you're in or out. That's what was happening here. We understand these things. We know what it's like to feel separated from corporate worship or fellowship. They were sent to basically to live in the colony, which was like a garbage dump, wearing bells so that you could hear when they were coming. So they had to wear bells. They had to shout unclean. It sounds cruel. It also, not only was it a necessary protection, it's a commentary on the sin condition of our fallen world. I'm sure rabbis would dehumanize people and make people um, feel horrible beyond their condition. Again, people stood at a distance, Luke seventeen eleven. It was a hellish existence. They were helpless. And doctors... Um, have, have said in, you know, commentaries, numbness, the, they, they lost their original coloration, they, they would swell, they would have, have, the face of a leper was like the face of a lion, and their affected larynx made them have a horse-like voice. So they were physiologically feeling less than human and dangerously contagious. Leviticus 13, just real quick, I just want to Go there a little bit, just again, to show you what Jesus approached. The priests examined, they would look at swelling, reddish-white spots on a bald head. Um, It was a leprous disease. They were pronounced unclean. They had to wear torn clothes. They had to let their hair um, of their head hang loose, and they had to cover their face. When they would cry, unclean, unclean, they'd have a mask over their face. And they had to live outside the camp. It was horrible. So Jesus, did he heal that then? Would he heal that today? Why does he heal sometimes and not other times? And how are we supposed to live in light of solving for death? How do we solve for death? The one thing we all have in common is we're all going to die Right? So we need to understand healing or not healing in view of what we all have in common, which is death, and we need to take the sting out of death in our own faith and help others in this way. And how can we do that? Well, I think it's unpacking this text in three different levels of cleansing. Jesus is, he speaks to three levels of cleansing here, two of which um, this man um, is participating in one that he avoids altogether. The first level of cleansing is supernatural cleansing. This is the wider level. You, a lot of people are, are trying to say, this is the apex. What I would really want in life more than anything else is this supernatural healing. That's my number one. That's not Jesus' number one here. That's the, that's the widest um, version of cleansing. Then there's a second version that's ceremonial and the third, which is um, spiritual where you're cleansed in your heart. So there's the supernatural ceremonial and the spiritual. There's the supernatural, which is the miracle. There's the ceremonial, um, which is the witness of the gospel. And then there is the, the core, which is spiritual cleansing, which is conversion, which is conversion. That's number one. That's the cleansing we all want. And we all have and need spiritual cleanse or supernatural cleansing. Look at verse Um, 42. Immediately the leprosy left him. I mean, Jesus, verse 41, had compassion. He had what's called splognos. He felt it for this man. He stretched out his hand and touched him. He willed for him to be clean, and immediately everything was gone. He was breaking all of the ceremonial laws regarding touching infected people. I already explained um, why he did that. This man knew from Um, John the Baptist's testimony that lepers were cleansed. So he went for that. It was a dramatic event. Jesus cares about people. He cares about people in these heinous, grotesque situations, and we should too. We should not move back from anybody um, that comes in our path. We should be like Christ and move towards people with the cleansing power of the gospel. We should do that. That's what Jesus did. He was moved to do the unthinkable and he touched him. Shouldn't shy away from that. And he did it according to his perfect will. Restored this man to complete health. Now I want to move to verses 43 and 44, the ceremonial cleansing. So you have the supernatural cleansing. We've talked a lot about that ceremonial cleansing. What's this all about? Remember, it had been just a month or two before where Jesus had flipped over the the temple tables. Remember, he he shook the place up. He called it out. He said, you're you're turning temple worship or God's house house of prayer into a racketeering scam where you're selling goats and selling sacrifices on the day of sacrifice to make money. So it was a thing that jesus was up in and he was exposing the the evil within the system at that point that's what jesus was doing and so what he wanted to do was send this man there to witness he was not only subduing the crowd so they wouldn't come and and come to jesus like a convenience store but he was sending the crowds to go to the priest to be a witness He sternly charged him. The word stern here is actually um, a picture of Jesus like grunting. He's just like like saying, you got to go do this right now. Sternly charged, like righteous indignation, sending him away at once. Tell no one, say nothing to anything, but go. Show yourself to the priest. Do the right thing. Follow the right procedure. I hear a lot of people that speak of evangelism as... Um, talking in terms of quantifying numbers of gathering people in the crowds. Well, there were times where the crowds would press in and Jesus would preach the gospel and that would be a good thing. But um, crowd exposure is not necessarily the path that Jesus wants to take to reach the world. A lot of the world is reached through what I call the invisible advancement of the kingdom of God. A mom evangelizing, evangelizing a child in homeschool. It's, uh, it's a teacher in class at Grace Christian School ministering the gospel. It's a chapel message. It's talking to people who are your neighbor. It's just serving somebody. It's sitting bedside with somebody when they need you. It's listening. It's answering questions to people. People really like to miss the point of the gospel altogether. Uh, there was a, a video I watched of it. It was a prominent leader's son who has become hardened in his heart against the faith and he's ranting about what he calls white evangelicalism he says they don't care whatsoever about hell or really believe in it at all because if you genuinely believed in hell then you would be unstoppable in terms of always telling people to turn to christ because eternal hell is there and you've got the key for it and so he's trying to use logic to say that We don't really believe in hell. No, we believe in hell. And we believe we have the answer in the gospel. We just preach the gospel and live the gospel the way Jesus did. Jesus preached sometimes. He preached, you know, on occasion and and crowds would come. And there were times where he would go away all night and pray. And there were times where he would sit at at a wedding, right? And there were times when he performed miracles and times when he didn't perform miracles. There were times when he would say, I'm so tired, I'm going to fall asleep in the boat, right? Right? I mean, we live our lives in the normal Christian life of raising families, having integrity on the job, um, being a silent witness, and then at times having conversations or having a very public witness in terms of taking a stand. And understanding exactly when you're supposed to take a stand or when you're supposed to retreat is being wise as serpents and harmless as doves, and we have to navigate that. And so the way that Jesus instructed this man to be the right witness at the right time was at first, we're going to break the protocols of ceremonial um, distancing. And, and Jesus reaches out and touches the leper and the leper approaches Jesus. We're going to break that. And Jesus is basically saying, I'm the fulfillment of the law. And now I want you to submit to the protocols and go and have the, the priest pronounce you as clean. Why did he want him to do that? Do that. Well, it's as simple as this. In Luke chap, or Leviticus chapter 14, we don't have time to unpack this. There's a description here of when a priest would evaluate somebody who thought that they had, were cleansed from leprosy and then they would be pronounced clean. They were unclean and they would be pronounced clean. That's Leviticus 14, one through 8. This is, though, not talking about somebody who was supernaturally cleansed. This is somebody who was put outside of the community because he had a case of leprosy that healed on its own. God healed him through providential means. It's like where you're hurt or you're physically sick and then either medicinally or physiologically or both, you get better. So this person comes back and sees the priest and says, evaluate me. What Jesus is staging for is this man who had Hansen's syndrome, an elephantitis level of leprosy where he was supernaturally healed. Now you go and show the priest that you've been healed so that it will be a powerful witness and it'll be a controlled way to mediate the witness in a way that Jesus will still be free to preach the gospel and not be overrun by consumers who want to buy their miracle. You see what I'm saying? Jesus has his ways of doing it. And that's what's highlighted here. Luke 14, I'm not going to get into all the detail, but it is a picture of the gospel. You had a priest who would basically take two birds with someone who was going to be identified as clean. He would kill one bird, have a basin of blood and basically take the other bird and dip that bird fully. Very similar to baptism in the picture of the gospel there, dipping the bird fully in the blood. And then he would let the the bird go in the field to show that, that what was, what was wrong has been made right through a death sacrifice and a covering and a cleansing where now this person set free in the same way, a leper who had the maladies of sores and, and separation. Now God has providentially cleaned that, cleansed that person. And so they are declared clean. Verse seven, he says, he shall sprinkle it seven times. That's the bird on him who's to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and bathe himself in water. And he shall be clean. And after that, he shall come into the camp. One bird's killed, one bird set free. It's a picture of the gospel. But that leads us to the final cleansing. So you have three cleansings. You have the supernatural one. You have the ceremonial one, which this man completely denied himself of doing. And then you have spiritual cleansing. This man in verse 45 is exposed. Um, It says, but he, this is the leper, went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And the people were coming to him from every quarter. What did he do? He didn't go to the temple at all. He didn't go at all. He took the bull by the horns and said, I'm going to do it my way. Now, do I think this guy was converted? I do. I, I, I think he was. A be- couple reasons. The rich young ruler, when he knelt and said, What do I need to do to be saved? And I've kept the law, and Jesus basically says, We'll sell everything to expose his heart, and the guy went away sad. I don't think that man at that point was saved. But I think this man who came and knelt and said, please heal me if you will. And then he was healed. And then he was instructed to do the right thing and do it the way Jesus wanted him to, but did it the wrong way. He's just a baby Christian. stumbling around. I mean, we never do stupid things, right? Yeah, we do. And especially when we're new in the faith, we do all kinds of stuff that Jesus does not want us to do. But we're still Christians. He was trying to get the good news out. You say, well... What's wrong with that? Well, it was spreading it in a way that made people go after Jesus and even find him from every quarter. He's in desolate he's in a desolate place. Jesus isolates himself. They still find him. We're going to find him because we need our disease healed. If Jesus can do that for you, hey, for 1995, you can do it for me. And that's what Jesus was saying. He didn't want to be about. Verse 14 of Mark 1, um, Jesus you know, came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe the gospel. Verse 38, and he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. That's what he was about. He was all about preaching for spiritual cleansing. It's like a child, this leper, when things go really good for a child, Um, that's when the spiritual test is really on, right? When it's hard, we get really spiritual real quick. But when things are easy, right, on us and we feel blessed, that's when the real test of how we really are doing is on display. This guy needed to grow. But I think there's grace there and heart change in all of this. Well, Jesus' ministry at this point was hampered, but it was ultimately just part of what God was doing Listen, we're all the leper, right? Let's just kind of bring it to a rapid close. We're all the leper. We all needed cleansing in our hearts. And we've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And we've been set free. Um, to, to answer the question, does he still do things like this? I believe he does. He's the same. Why doesn't he do it sometimes? And and sometimes he does, sometimes he does it Because he has higher purposes. And his higher purposes always lead to the third cleansing, which is hearts being changed. That's the whole point. How do we get someone who's afraid to die um, at peace? We preach the gospel to them. We live it. We share it. We show it. We show that this cleansing is the most important cleansing. It's It's the greatest miracle. And we pray with people for their reception, their receptivity to that.